Crime World needs your listeners' choice vote at the Irish Podcast Awards. Every vote counts, and you can cast yours at theirishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. And then at the end, he threw in, now, uh, I can pay you more if you clean my house in the nude. He was, without doubt, the most prolific pimp in Northern Ireland for decades. He really exploited these women financially and then uh, demanded his own share of sex for payment. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. When journalist Hugh Jordan first exposed a Belfast taxi driver who'd offered his friend a job as a naked cleaner, he named him Mucky Marty. Twelve years on, he'd no idea how apt that nickname would become, as Martin Heaney recently pleaded guilty to controlling ten women in prostitution and became the first person subject to a slavery and trafficking prevention order. Understood to have pimped out vulnerable and addicted women for decades while pocketing a fortune for their services, Heaney was sentenced to five years for his crimes. Today, Jordan recalls how he first came across Mucky Marty and how he followed his career of sleaze and greed, facing him down a number of times as he groomed young women to sell sex to strangers. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Your first encounter, Hugh, with Mucky Martin Heaney, and did you give him the nickname? I gave him that name. That's one of... You're proud of that one? Yes. uh, Several people, not Johnny Mad Dog Adair, but Mucky Marty Heaney. Is, uh, became famous as, as a result of me giving him that handle. Yeah. yeah. So why? And what was your first encounter with him? Well, it's quite an interesting story, Nicola. Uh, I had never heard of Mucky Martihini, but I'm friendly with uh, Suzanne Breen, the, the reporter, and this will have to go back 15 years. Suzanne worked for the Sunday Tribune mm-hmm. in, in Dublin. And Suzanne lives near me, and uh, she had been approached by a woman with whom she was friendly, uh, a a foreign uh, national who had come to live and work in Belfast. And she had put an advert in the Gumtree uh, website uh, saying she would take work as a cleaner, a domestic cleaner, anyone was interested. She was contacted by... Martin Heaney, who wasn't Mucky Marty by that time. Uh, and he said to her uh, she could come and clean his house. And uh, so they were doing prices negotiate. And then at the end, he threw in, now, uh, I can pay you more if you clean my house in the nude. So the woman was shocked and she got rid of him off the phone, but she had the phone numbers. And she told Suzanne Breen. The, the the Dublin, uh, or she worked for the, the Tribune. So Suzanne rang me and said she would like to do something on it. And I gave her some recording uh, equipment and she had the phone number and she phoned him and made an appointment to meet him. Again, near where I'm speaking to you from, South Belfast. And uh, she she met him in the car, but she had taken... Precautions. There was security 
and she insisted before she got in the car that he put his keys on the dash. So she got in and there was negotiation for uh, the, the cleaning job and just true to form at the end, he said, uh, now can Chuck pay you more if you're prepared to uh, clean my house in the nude? And she said, well, I'll need to think about it. So he suggested that he could pay her a quick tenner then then if, uh, if she was prepared to engage in some kind of sexual act. And she said she would need to think about all of this. And she got herself extricated. Uh, so Suzanne ran her story in the Sunday Tribune, but it was tightly, over tightly uh, edited and, uh, and, and legaled. And so much so, it was far too vague. And Suzanne was a bit disappointed. So she gave me mm-hmm. the tape recording. And all we had was a name, Marty, Martin, Marty. So, and we believe, believed he was a taxi driver because Suzanne, as she said in her piece, there was no taxi sign on the car. But while she was in the car, someone rang him on his mobile phone, a woman looking for a taxi. Uh, so we, we could accept that he was a taxi driver. But that was all I had. One day, that, uh, I mean, this all happened very quickly. I had to go to Dublin to see the Sunday World editor, Mr. McGinty, uh, about something. And I came back late on the train and I got a taxi from the station to my home. Uh, I'm speaking, one of the, the driver taking me home was uh, senior management with the company. And I told him that I was uh, interested in this man. All I had was a name. And I told him and I gave him a description. And instantly he said, I know who it is. As small as that. And I, he said, uh, I know who, I said, Hugh, I can't remember his mm-hmm. name, but when I drop you off, I'll go to our uh, office. And he said, uh, I'll dig out his file. I sacked him because of complaints from women. So it was starting to look the part. So this was what, what would initially look like possibly an opportunist um, in the scenario with Suzanne Breen. He obviously had offered her the, the work and more money if she went nude and then tried it on for something sexual in the car. You know, the conversation you had with the taxi drivers bringing this to a new level. Yes, it was. It was. It was clearly something else. So he told me about several complaints and he gave me an address for him. And uh, so we, we, we agreed to go and knock his door. Uh, we knocked his door, but he looked out as a small window saw us and wouldn't answer the door. So we knew we had to get them elsewhere. Uh, but we, so we started asking around this time we have his name and I speak to two other taxi drivers who, whom I knew and they told me something much more sinister. Uh, and that was they worked with them. Again, there were complaints from women and, uh, he had arrived in South Belfast, having previously lived with his wife and family, um, whom he left behind, a, 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 a wife and one child, and uh, he arrives in South Belfast, the much nicer, leafier, non-paramilitary part of Belfast. So uh, he is working there 
but there were complaints from women again, and he sacked. But this is the sinister part. A few weeks later, a television kind of crime watch type program arrives on, on television and an artist's impression of a taxi driver in West Belfast comes on the screen. The two taxi drivers whom I spoke to independently saw it and contacted Crime Stoppers and told the police they believe this to be Martin Heaney. Now, we don't know where that investigation went. It was certainly before the days of DNA, but that meant, if, if, if it was true, Martin, mm. Martin Heaney was much more sinister. So we'd, we had to challenge him, and we found out he was working as a tour bus guide in Belfast. And we challenged him as he was helping passengers from the bus. And uh, it, he, he ran away and he ran into the cab, put a scarf around his neck and drove the bus away. But we had the story by then, although it's always better to get talking to him. And then I was con- about an hour later, I was contacted by his boss and the tour guide company whom I knew. And he said, this man's in a terrible state, but he would like to speak to you. I said, I'm always happy to speak to him. So I went to speak to him, sat in, the, in his boss's car, and he pleaded with me not to run the story. He said his father was elderly and couldn't take the strain of having his son. He said he'll never do it again in his life. He don't know why he did it. But we ran the story. And Hugh, what had he actually admitted to you? Was it initially contacting the the foreign national and offering her the job and then later being caught up in the sting with Suzanne Breen? Or did he admit more? No, 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 that was it. It was as though I've done wrong here, uh, but I've never done anything before and I'll never do anything again. That was what he was trying to impress me with. Uh, Mm. But anyway, we ran the story and it was a front page story. And uh, from that, there was a couple of other uh, stories, just can't remember the detail of them at the time. That that and all the time, it became apparent that Mucky Marty, as we called him, was much more uh, of a prolific pimp than mm. we ever thought, and he was deeply involved in the in the sex for sale business. And he was he was kind of using the taxi initially as a way to meet women and bring them into that, or. Well, the, it looked as though the, this uh, gum tree adverts where uh, I want someone to clean my house and people initially replying to that type of work then were propositioned for, for further, mm. further work. Uh, but a while later then we found out that he, was, he had moved up a grade. He had um, opened a company called angels to devils and he had two girls working for him misty one was called and the other one was called miss spanky and they offered a number of sexual services for their clients and it was all booked on the internet he was computer literate we didn't know that but he could run it's a half decent website but it was clearly a pimping operation and he was the boss uh so we arranged mm. to meet him to engage in his services because of my accent. I brought in someone else to help us, and uh, he arranged uh, 
we arranged to meet him at a hotel and at the appointed time he turned up with a young woman wearing nothing but a black coat and high heels and uh, very glamorous looking and she thought she was going to attend a stag night, stag night in the hotel, private room in the hotel, uh, but Martin had informed us that she was a dancer, but of course there were other services available if we were prepared to pay more money. Uh, so they arrive at the door of the hotel, and uh, as he is talking to my decoy customer, uh, I popped out the, the ether and said to him, hello, Martin, do you remember me? And uh, <laughs> so... You should have actually just done your own sort of cook report style show. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and... Uh, so, so, so that's how we got them. And uh, so that was a much bigger story. But all of this was 14, 12 and 14 years ago. Now, over the period of time, uh, he was convicted of um, committing a, a sexual act in front of two young girls who had been held as a prisoner in his car but they were not the, the major uh, crimes that he's admitted to these days. I mean, there were 62 charges put to him of a variety of serious sexual exploitation offences. Uh, and he pleaded guilty to 28, you know. He, I looked at the uh, uh, records. He has appeared in the Sunday world 28 times. And yet, it, see, it appears to me... He, he, he successfully stayed under the radar for a long time, Nicola, a long time. He, he did. He seemed to have got away with it for a long time. And But when you think about what he has been doing and from reading your stories about him, he was what people would call in the normal world as a kind of a carpet bomber. He would send out, you know, 100 messages to women to try and lure them in. And on his, you know, in his mind... If he got five of them, he was doing well. But of course, each one of them was worth a lot of money to them, to him. And he was seemed to have been targeting very vulnerable women, drug users and, you know, people maybe with mental health problems. And he was setting them to work as prostitutes. And he was obviously making quite a lot of money with it. He was. And th that is exactly it was. It was carpet bombing throughout this wide net. And if you get 5% of it, then you're doing well because because uh, each one produced a lot of money. And uh, he was, without doubt, the most prolific pimp in Northern Ireland for decades. In all mm. my experience at working in newspapers, and I've come across a number of pimps, he, without doubt, is the number Mr. Number One guy, mm. without doubt. I'm just surprised that he was able to run so long before the police took him seriously. And in the end, they did. And uh, and he was sentenced uh, last week to, to five years. Uh, a, a, an ironic twist, Nicola, is the the judge, Patrick Lynch, who, who gave him the five-year sentence and the order against prevents him trafficking. Uh, when Judge Pat Lynch was a, a younger man, he was the, the, the Crown prosecutor who put the charges 
of directing terrorism to Mr. Johnny Adair. Mm. Small little parts, small parts of the world. Um, the his links between so these these charges that he pleaded guilty to, which culminated in controlling ten women, I think, um, happened between 2011 and 2019. How did the police eventually start to take notice of him, and how did they conduct that investigation? Were these women? coming out of this and going to make the complaint or did they have to somehow entrap him in the same way you had a number of times? Well, I don't think they did that. Uh, I was aware uh, of one apartment he was using in South Belfast near the King's Hall and I, I witnessed the police reading that. They were in there for hours. He was going mad, denying everything, but I think that was the start of the investigation and the more like that we're discussing just now the more you looked into him they realized he, he was much bigger than they had realized at first mm. uh, i think the investigation came about one of the parents of one of these vulnerable girls went to the police and they were forced to 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 look at it and actually know one of the parents and uh, it's exactly as you describe young woman vulnerable for a variety of reasons and one of their parents uh, brought it to the attention of the police and the more they looked into it with bank accounts and and his whole employment history he didn't sign for unemployment benefit he was driving a car cars turned over hundreds of thousands of miles as he mm-hmm. as he operated cross border different parts of the country he was a busy man and that's what I was going to say to you. He used the border. He went over and back, particularly to the Dundalk area, County Louth, and some of the border counties where he hooked up with another suspected, um, you know, pimp, basically. And together, it's believed they may have, have worked to try and lure women in. The women often were heroin users. That's exactly right. We met, we met some of them and uh, they were in a dreadful state. Dreadful. State. Uh, one girl I can remember, her, and she her, her teeth were falling out, uh, and she told me about working for the the man who became Heaney's partner. And mm-hmm. it was you see with the, the the improvement in the roads, you can be in Dundalk from the centre of Belfast. You can be in Dundalk in under an hour, well under an hour. So it's not a, it's not a problem anymore. Uh, Travelling in many ways suited. Martin Heaney, because he he disappeared from public view. He's a burly giant of a man, stood out when he would have been around Belfast. He went into pubs and things and and, uh, tried to lure women who were on a night out. Again, it was a kind of blunderbuss approach. Uh, If I I just fire this, I might hit one. And, Mm. uh, And that's how he operated. And was there evidence given about how he was advertising these women or what kind of... Um, men obviously were were using them because you know the the escort service can be a little bit more sophisticated than that nowadays, and obviously you see others that are you know advertising women from ex- let's say exotic or certainly that's how they're advertising these women. Like what sort of men will pay for sex with somebody as vulnerable as that that their teeth are falling out and they're clearly got a chronic tragic addiction problem? It is it, I, I think as you've described, a sort of uh, sophisticated approach to prostitution. Martin Heaney was not like that. He was a, a rough 
uh, individual uh, that prostitutes were people who had uh, clearly had uh, issues with uh, drug addiction, drink, and uh, mm. and they had poor, poor lives and desperate for money all of the time. So it was all internet based. All his so there was a sort of paper tr- trace. And when the police raided his house, they were able to go into his computers and 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 the, the, they've said in recent interviews that they they couldn't believe when they opened a document that this led to more and more documents of customers and and how how it operated and the money. He I mean he he really exploited these women financially. Uh, they and and then. Uh, demanded his own mm. share of sex for 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 payment. It was a serious, serious mm. case. You go a long way to meet to meet people like that, even in in our job where you meet certain. But if you look into his own uh, background, I mean, he he was born in West Belfast uh, in the middle of the troubles. Uh, he's he's. Uh, I suppose he knew nothing else, really. His mother, his own mother, died giving birth to him. And uh, he, he... So he was never involved or interested in paramilitary groups. It was always driving. And, of course, he was charming enough. Uh, he, he was a... He was one of those guys who portrayed himself as... Mr. Helpful, he would, you know, he will do anything for, but there was always an ulterior motive and it was sex for money. And you'll have more experience of this than me because female reporters, they don't often have a a place probably in that kind of work. But the little bit of it I've done when we have, you know, created stings for some of these guys that are behind sex trafficking and that, I find they always try to work on your sympathy and your empathy and they always come with, come to you with some sort of an excuse given his, in the first place, his elderly father. They always have something like that. Um, do you find the same with them? Yeah, I find that very, every time. And you've got to remember, we had uh, a lot of dealings with them and he always made a plea for leniency. Uh, you know, I'll never do it again. I don't know why I got, I got myself involved in this. My father's a respectable man. This will kill him if you publish this in the paper. That's exactly what you describe. And he was he always chanced his arm uh, like mm. that. Uh, but he was a ruthless individual and a, yeah. a dangerous enough, you know. Now, he got five years. He was already in prison pending this uh, guilty plea. And he's going to be out pretty soon because he's already served quite a bit of time. He got half of that five years he can serve on license. Do you know in the background if there's ongoing into investigations into maybe other parts of what, what he, he may have been involved in? Is Are the police going to pursue him with anything else? Well, I, I, I don't know for a fact, but I'd be surprised if there isn't. And I mm. highlighted uh, in our paper this weekend, there was this outstanding allegation that uh, he was a, a suspect in a, an alleged rape in West Belfast. And if, mm. if, I mean, I pointed this out in the paper, if there was DNA evidence that was properly preserved 
then that could change everything. Uh, mm-hmm. so, albeit a long time ago, but I've seen DNA change 30-year-old sex crimes uh, in Belfast. I witnessed mm-hmm. one, one case. And one way or another, he is completely exposed now because he's had huge coverage and his face is there. And thanks to social media, that's all been shared around. And maybe at the very least, people will be aware who he is and know who to look out for. Yes, yes. He is well, he's well known now. Well known. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, Hugh Jordan, thank you very much. You're welcome. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.